that's quite often, but nonetheless, that's, that's a different story. But we've been, over the past few weeks, we've been visiting the cross and listening again to the final words of Jesus from the cross. Today we're going to consider words that continue to shake our world, but they're not words from the cross. They're now words from the tomb. These words were spoken by angels to the women who had arrived at the cemetery expecting to prepare the corpse of Jesus Christ with additional burial spices. Because of the resurrection, you and I don't have to be afraid of the grave. Let's go to the tomb on that very first Easter morning and hear these words from the tomb. Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to ask you if you would, in honor of the reading of God's Word, if you'd stand with us this morning through this passage we're going to read, Luke 24, 1 through 6. And we read these words. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord, Jesus. And it happened as they were getting greatly, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this passage you've given us. And what a beautiful verse it is for this day that we celebrate Easter Sunday. For you rose from the grave with victory. And because of that, we don't have to worry about what the grave holds for each one of us. Because we know that you're victorious even over the grave. Thank you, Lord. Open our hearts and our minds to be receptive over the next few minutes. Go with us through the rest of this service. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I was praying about this passage, thought about this portion of God's Word, I kept being drawn back to the question that the angels asked these women. Why do you look for the living among the dead? The women went to the cemetery expecting to find the corpse, but they found a living Lord instead. The angel said, He is not here. He is risen. People are still looking for the corpse of Jesus today. Do you realize that? People still want to prove the Bible wrong. Have you ever noticed that over the past few years, 10 or 12 years, what it may be, it's not uncommon this time of year with the around Easter to have some sensational attempts by savvy marketings, I'll put it that way, gurus to release controversial claims to refute the message of Easter. About 20 years ago, there was the movie that came out, The Last Temptation of Christ. Everybody see that? Most of y'all see that? Remember it and so forth? Anyway, it was released just, released just before Easter, and it stirred up a lot of controversy. A few years ago, there was the book called The Da Vinci Code that came out right before Easter. 
it was promoted and then later became a movie. And then I remember just uh, not too many years ago, I can't tell you exactly when it was, but around Easter, it was the, the discovery of the hidden, secretly hidden gospel of Judas. Y'all remember that one? Just a, doesn't seem like it five years ago. But it came out and a lot of people stirred up controversy once again. Then more recently, the Titanic movie director James Cameron created a media stir right before Easter with his claim that he had found the remains of the body of Jesus in a cemetery outside of Jerusalem. Those same angels that spoke to him that morning could have asked James Cameron, why do you look for the living among the dead? Because that's exactly what a lot of people do. They're looking for something to disprove the Bible. Don't worry about it, though. The gospel is as solid as an anvil that's worn out many, many hammers over the years. And the Bible still holds true. There is nothing they can do to tear it down. They've tried everything, believe me. Only thing they can do is convince you that it is irrelevant in your life. If you allow that to happen, then He can tear the Bible down for you. But don't let that happen. Because Jesus Christ came forth from that grave and is alive today because of what we call the Easter season. Throughout the centuries, after all these controversies all fade away, the Bible is still there. And the controversies have faded by the wayside. The question of the angels is one that we should be answering in 2018. Why are so many people looking for life in dead places? As I thought about that question, I remembered, oh, now I'm a country and western song lover. Don't say singer. I'm not a country and western singer by any means. Country. I tell you, we've got this one section that we need to really do something about. But anyway, some years ago, probably about 15 years ago, a singer by the name of Johnny Lee sang a song, and it's called Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. Now, if you're a country western song fan, I'm sure you remember that. The chorus says this, I was looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces, searching their eyes, looking for traces of what I'm dreaming of, hoping to find a friend and a lover. I'll bless the day that I discover another heart looking for love. I'd like to change one word in that song right there and make it, a lot of people today are looking for life in all the wrong places. <coughs> Excuse me. These women on this first Easter morning were doing that, and millions of people today are looking for life, but they're searching in dead places. Let me ask you this personal question. Are you looking for life in all the wrong places? Have you ever thought about it? What are you looking for life? What are you, what are you expecting for life? Are you looking for life in all the wrong places? Number one, you won't find life in more possessions. Some people are looking for life in the graveyard of money and possessions. We are a consumer-driven culture in our world today, even Christians, so don't think we're exempt. We want to keep up with the Joneses, but the Joneses just had to refinance for the third time. We have so much stuff to store that 
Do you realize we've now come up with a place called self-storage places? That's for our junk we can't get in our houses. I mean, and don't, don't, I know some of you have them. Yes, I had one too. So just, just, now it's my garage. Judy just puts it out there and says, okay, to the deal. But anyway, it's uh, one psychologist and professional organizer. By the way, there are over 3,500 full-time professional organizers listed in the Jobs of America who make lots of money by helping people manage their stuff. Now think about that a minute. One psychologist and professional organizer who helps people deal with a rampant overspending writes, Some people theorize that our urge to hoard stuff has its roots in our ancestors when they when their survival depended on their having everything they needed in their immediate environment. I suspect that nowadays our compulsion to have is a mutation of misguided emotion survival tactics. We have come to con- to confess the feelings of in of security confuse the feelings of security and love with the presence of things. And so we try to fill the void. We fill our fill inside of ourselves with stuff. We soothe ourselves by purchasing the latest item, a self-help CD or status symbol or gadget or iPhone or numerous things. I've I've seen people who have dozens of items still in the package with a tag still on it they've never opened. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're in that category because I'm afraid some of you might be. But think about that a minute. We've got so much stuff, we don't even get around to open it sometimes. This is new stuff. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Let me read that again. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. I know many Christian people that try to get everything because maybe when they grew up they didn't have a lot and they're at the point now they, they want to buy everything they can get their hands on. Every gadget, every game, every whatever it may be. They want to buy stuff because it's a status symbol. They want people to see what they've accomplished now. Did you hear what Jesus just said? One's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. Jesus said there's so much more to life than an abundance of possessions. Money can buy you acquaintances, but it can't buy you friends. Money can buy you drugs, but it can't buy you health. Money can buy you a house, but it can't buy you a home. Money money can buy you insurance, but it can't buy you a peace of mind. Money can buy you a bed, but it can't buy you sleep. Money can buy you fun, but it can't buy you happiness. The Beatles were right. Now, I don't usually use the Beatles in one of my messages, but I'm going to this morning. They were right when they wrote a song some years back. I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. They were right on that article. Maybe one point of all the years, but anyway. If you're looking for life in money and possessions, you're looking for life in dead financial graveyards. The second thing we need to look at, 
You won't find life seeking thrills. So many people today are bored with their lives. They're thrills. They're seeking thrills. People are paying thousands of dollars to experience a new thrill. Just last night, I was on Facebook. Yes, I'm a Facebooker. And I was watching a little video of these people that spend hundreds and thousands to go up on top of this cliff without a parachute, I mind you, with what they call a a flying machine. Not a machine, it's just literally wings. And they jump off of this cliff that looks to be 25 miles down to the bottom. Why in the world would you do that? But they pay money to do it. There are now companies that offer adventure vacations. Instead of taking vacations where you rest and relax, these are experiences that give you the adrenaline rush you're looking for. And these are this is real stuff, folks. <laughs> Don't think I'm going to use my vacation doing this, but just to let you know it, it's real. They included adventures like hiking in a rainforest, climbing in the ro- rock climbing in the Rockies, skydiving, hang gliding, a motorcycle tours off the California coast. Now, from what I've heard of California traffic, that's probably the most dangerous one right there. These are cheap thrills, but they'll cost you an arm and a leg, and sometimes literally. (laughs) The problem with these thrills is that you, it can cost you dearly in life-wise. I mean, there are accidents that happen, but... You have to find something with it. When you find a thrill, you've got to find something next time that's even greater. And so you're always on the search for something more daring, more exciting, more adrenaline pumping, whatever it may be. I mean, really now, once you climb Mount Everest, what else is there to conquer? I mean, it's the biggest. But yet people always are looking for something else. Pleasure and thrill-seeking is a tomb of unfulfilled desires. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 6, Paul writes about, us, about certain women who are seeking lives of pleasure. His words apply to men also. He wrote, but she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Not my words. Oh, Paul wrote that. If you don't like it, take it up with him. I didn't say it. If you're looking for life and cheap thrills, you'll never be fully satisfied. The third thing we find You won't find life in man-made religion. Religion is an old, weathered tombstone. Man is is a religious creature, and from the earliest records of mankind, man worshipped the sun, the moon, even living creatures. In fact, if you go to Egypt today and you see these great pyramids, they are really religious graves. That's what they are. The Taj Mahal in India, is actually a huge tomb. The massive tombs of the Chinese emperors outside of Beijing are testimonies to the religious fervor of mankind. Religion is man's attempt to find God. Christianity is God's attempt to reach down and redeem His creation, mankind. See the difference? I don't want to be religious. I want to be faithful to Jesus Christ. Religion kills, but Jesus gives life. We saw the destructive power of religion some years ago when those terrorists flew those jetliners into the World Trade Center on 9-11 and the Pentagon. 
That's what religion does for you. These pilots of those planes were highly religious men who bowed toward Mecca and prayed five times a day. They were highly religious. Man-made religion has has a form of godliness. But it's void of a personal relationship with the living God. That's the difference. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despiser of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Didn't that just describe our nation right there? That describes exactly what we're going through in this nation. I don't care which side of the political party you're on. That has nothing to do with it. We live in a time where there's chaos in this world. And I believe, we was talking about it Wednesday night in our Bible study in here. And I, this is just my opinion. I can't back this up, can't prove it, but I believe it is. I believe it all started when we as Christians allowed Madeline Murray O'Hara to take prayer out of, out of schools. That's my belief. Now, again, I cannot factually prove that, but I believe that's where it started at. And it has gotten worse and worse and worse. I mean, so much now that politicians get on TV and say they want to kill this one or that one or whoever it may be, their opposition. Some months ago, I was in a restaurant with some guys, well, really about a couple of years ago, I guess now, but having lunch, and our server was a young lady who was wearing several silver and turquoise Bracelets and necklaces and things. Now, I don't know what it is. I've always liked that silver and turquoise look. Don't own any. Haven't ever owned any. I just like the look. I guess because it's Indian or something. I don't know what it is. Anyway, it. Uh, I forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> anyway, she came to our table, and I just commented on it. I, she was wearing a necklace just sort of hanging out. I looked at it. That's, that's pretty and so forth. And I said, that's really unique. And she said, well, my mother was part Indian. And I asked her, she said, uh, asked her, said Did you, do you attend church anywhere? She said, no, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I love the Bible, and I love Jesus, but I just can't take the church. When she returned with our meal, I said, you know, we've got a little bit in common. I'm spiritual too, but I don't like religion. Sometimes I can't take the church either. Because churches are made up of imperfect people. But I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he's made an amazing difference in my life. And she answered. She smiled, and she said, I like the way you said that. She never came to church, but, hey, she liked the way I said it anyway. <laughs> I remember some years ago, we were, I believe, in the Dallas area. and It's around Christmas time, and I'm sure we were stopping a mall or something. That's, we have to every time we go past a mall. <laughs> But we were in, we were in the, I think it was in the Dallas area. We were stopping at a mall. And, it, and I saw this bumper sticker that expresses what many Americans feel. It said, and I quote, I wrote it down. I've kept it up these several years. Jesus, save me from your followers. I thought, that's pretty good. I like that. <laughs> many churches have turned something that is life-giving 
into a set of dead, dull rules and regulation and rituals, even inside the churches sometimes. If we're not careful, we can take things that mean something to us, but turn into a ritual. And it has no meaning whatsoever. It loses its flavor completely. You won't find life in the mausoleum of a man-made religion. Number four, you will only find life in Jesus. Everybody is searching for life. Each of us has a God-shaped hole, I'm convinced, in our hearts, and it can only be filled with Jesus Christ. There's nothing else can fill it completely. Oh, you can stuff stuff in there, but it doesn't last any time. The Apostle Paul was searching. He had tried education. He had tried religion, but he was still empty. This is the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul existed before he met Jesus Christ, but he wasn't talking about his very existence. He was talking about his life. Really began to live when he met Jesus. To him, life was when he found Jesus. Have you found that this morning? Have you found Jesus this morning? I heard about a man who was playing a guitar. He kept his fingers in one spot, never moved them. Just kept playing the same chord over and over and over. Somebody asked him, says, why don't you move your hand up and down the neck of the guitar like everybody else does? He said, they're all looking for the right note. I found it. Everybody is looking for life. And those of us who know the Lord have found it. What does... What do I mean when I say, for me to live is Christ? Have you ever thought? I mean, we read those words, but have you ever thought about what that means? Number one, I believe it means Jesus is the source of our life. According to the Bible, life doesn't begin at 40. Life begins with Jesus. Death is not the separation of the soul from the body. Death is separation of a soul from God. Life can be found only in Jesus. He said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is only one way to have life in Christ, or life in God, however you want to term it. That's through Jesus Christ. There are no other ways. You can try religion. You can try different things. You can try all these things you want, but... It will not satisfy you, I assure you. The Bible says, he who has the Son has life. That's what makes Christianity so different from any other religion. Other religions are a creed, a code, a cause, but Christianity is Jesus. You can take Buddha out of Buddhism, and you still have Buddhism. Islam exists without Muhammad. You can take Confucius out of Confucianism and still have Confucianism. But Christianity cannot exist without the living presence of Jesus. Think about that. You take Jesus totally out of the picture of Christianity, there is no Christianity anymore. Because He's the life-giving and sustainer of all that we do. If you're married, you had a wedding ceremony. But at that wedding ceremony, you didn't get a wedding. You received a person, a husband or a wife. When you're saved, you don't receive a religion. You receive Jesus. 
Christianity is not simply following the teachings of Jesus. It's receiving the person of Jesus. It is Christ in me, the hope of glory. He's the source of my life, and I hope yours also. Number two, Jesus is the satisfaction of my life. People look for things that satisfy them, but they come up frustrated. Some years ago, there was a group called Bono. You too sang a song. And listen to these words. This is pretty good. You broke the bonds and loosed the chains. Carried the cross from my shame. Carried the cross from my shame of my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Do you see how desperate that is? He had he recognized Jesus, but he could not put a grasp upon him. He refused to accept. Now that's a song, I know that, but I believe the one that wrote that song's got a problem. Nothing in this world can satisfy. Adam and Eve were in the garden of paradise. I mean, they were in paradise. But they were still unsatisfied. They had all their needs met. They were still seeking more. Jesus is the source of true satisfaction. As the old song we used to sing, and then still sing sometimes, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more to life to me. He is more than life to me. And the fairest of 10,000 is, is the blessed Lord I see. You know, we don't need to discount those old hymns. Sometimes we need to sing them and sing them many times. Because they speak a whole lot of truth to us. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. Did you hear what Jesus just said? He came, died on the cross so that you and you and you might have life. And not just have life to exist, have life abundantly. I'm sorry to tell you, but I know a lot of Christians that don't have life abundantly right now. And maybe somebody's sitting here. I don't know. The only way you'll know Jesus is the true satisfaction for life is to surrender your life to Him. Once you do, nothing in this world will appeal to you like Jesus does. Suppose you've just finished eating a great big meal of huge filet mignon, baked potato, wonderful salad. I'm making myself hungry now. Then someone comes up and offers you a little old piece of dirty, molded crumb of bread. And he says, here, eat this. You're going to say, no, thank you. I'm already satisfied. The Bible in Psalms chapter 34, verse 8 says this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Try him. Try a bite. See if it doesn't satisfy you. You've been looking all of your life. You haven't found it. Try Jesus. Make a commitment to Him. Once you feast on the manna of Jesus, you'll never have an appetite for old crumbs anymore. Snickers. I'm a big Snickers fan, even though I'm a diabetic. I know I'll hear that from a lot of my mamas in here today. But I like Snickers bars. It's really Chris's fault because he brings them, puts them in the office, and makes me eat them. But it's... Snickers satisfies you for a few hours, but then you start wanting another one and another one. Jesus satisfies forever. 
The third thing we see, Jesus is the strength of my life. We all face so many demands that we often find that we, we lack the strength to do everything we're required to do. The secret to life is recognizing that Jesus is the strength of life. The Bible's in, uh, Bible in Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some people are reluctant to become Christians because they think if, if they become Christian, Christian, Christians, they'll be unable to live the Christian life. I've got news for you. You're absolutely right. You can't live the Christian life. There is not a thing you can do to live the Christian life. I don't care who you are sitting here. The Christian life was never meant for you to live it. It was meant for Jesus to live it through you. Now, I meant to bring a glove this morning, but I didn't. But just imagine I have a glove this morning, and I told that glove to pick up that Bible. That glove couldn't pick up the Bible, right? Of course not. Not by itself. But if I put my hand in that Bible, then that glove picks up the Bible. That's exactly what Jesus is saying to us. You don't have the strength to live the Christian life. I don't care how good you are, how sweet you are, how much money you got or anything else. You can't do it. But you were never intended to do it. Jesus says, let me do it through you. You put me on and let me do it for you. That's exactly what he's saying to us. But yet so many times we want to do it ourselves. Well, I'll be able to do this. I'm a Christian and I'll be able to do this. You're going to fall on your face every time. There's no hope for you. It's only when you let Jesus in you do the work that makes a difference. Jesus is the strength of my life. We all face so many demands. That's a simple but profound picture of the Christian life about the glove. Galatians 2.20 says, No longer I, but Christ lives in me. Jesus can give you strength to do anything God says to love your enemies. We can't do it on our own. You, I don't care how much you try. You can't love your enemies. But through Christ, you can. Jesus says that we're to love your enemies. We can't do that. God tells us to give thanks in all things. But we don't have the strength to do that. But with Christ in you, you can do it. He is my strength, and I can do all things through Christ. Number four, Jesus is the sustainer of life. The Bible says in Colossians 1.17 that through Christ, all things hold together. Jesus' power is sustaining the entire universe. Without His sustaining power, the planets would just rip out of their systems and fly crazily. Without Jesus' sustaining power, the electrons orbiting the protons in the atoms would zip off into their own and matter would disintegrate. In the same way, Jesus sustains our lives. But if you don't have Him living inside of you, guess what? That's why you experience chaos so many times. Without Christ, we can do nothing. When it seems your life has fallen apart... Jesus can sustain you. In Isaiah chapter 46, verse 4, God says, Even to your old age I am He, and even to gray hairs I will carry you. 
I have made you, and I will bear you, even I will carry you, and will deliver you. What are you facing this week? Well, you don't know what I'm facing. No, I don't. You don't know what I'm facing either, for that matter. i got to face these deacons tonight. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But without Jesus' power, I couldn't be living at this moment. Without Jesus, I wouldn't have a chance of living in the future. At the tomb of, Je- of Lazarus, Jesus spoke these three these words to Martha from John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, remember, Lazarus had died. They had sent for Jesus. He waited three days to come. Jesus, why wasn't you here when we asked you? You could have saved him. But Jesus wanted to do something different. Listen to what he says in John 11, 30, 11 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall still live. That's what Easter's all about, folks. Knowing Jesus isn't only a matter of life, it's also a matter of death. If the Lord tarries, guess what? I read a statistic last week that says that one out of one people are going to die. Every one of us, sooner or later, if God tarries, is going to die, period. No questions asked. You're not going to live to be 700 years old like they did in the Old Testament. I like the story about a preacher who was preaching on this subject. He said, every member of this church is going to die. little boy sitting on the front row giggled at that remark. preacher didn't like it. So he repeated his statement again with more intensity. He says, I said, every member of this church is going to die. At that point, that little boy just broke out laughing. The preacher stopped his message and said, son, what in the world is so funny about that? He says, I'm not a member of this church. Whether you're a member of this church or any other church, you one day will have to face death if God tarries. Now the conclusion. We'll close up real quickly. As you're looking for life, are you looking for life in all the wrong places? Everybody is looking for something or somebody. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. As we get closer to death in our human flesh, it seems we tend to talk about death in terms of loss. Have you ever thought about that? Well, I'm sorry you lost your mother in a car accident. I'm sorry we lost your dad last week or whatever it may be. I'm I'm so sorry that you lost your grandmother. Humanly speaking, if we live live long enough, we start losing things. Some people lose their health. Some people lose their memories. Some of us lose our teeth. Others lose our hair. Eyesight, hearing. It all goes away, young people. You're going to get there one of these days, too. Just hang on. Reminds me of a story of an elderly couple sitting on the front porch one day and rocking back and forth. And He said, the, the wife said to the husband, says, I'm so proud of you. He says, oh, yeah? Well, I'm tired of you, too. But when the Bible speaks of the death of a Christian, it doesn't use the word loss. It uses the word gain. The Bible speaks of death as being something we gain. You see, for a believer, it's heads I win, tails I win. As I conclude this message this morning, I want to ask you to do something. In your mind, you don't have to write it down. 
But I want you to fill out that blank I just said. For me to live is blank. In your mind, just put it down. Nobody's going to ask you about anything else. You don't have to tell me, but be honest with yourself. If you said, for me to live is money, then you'd have to say, and to die is loss. Because you can't take it with you. If greed is your creed and gold is your God, you lose it all when you die. For you to say, for me to live is pleasure, then you'd have to say, and die is loss. Because when you die, you won't even have this body to feel pleasure. So you lose it. There's no thrill or pleasure in a Christless eternity. If you say, for me to live is religion, then you have to say, and to die is loss. If religion's your thing, you'll lose it at death because there won't be any church buildings or sacraments to perform in heaven. So how do you complete that equation, that sentence? For me to live is education. That's a noble pursuit on earth. But there won't be a need for education in heaven, right? We'll all be smart. Well, maybe some, but, you know. <laughs> You'd have to conclude, for me to die is loss. For me to live is my job. Sorry, there won't be any factories or office buildings or companies in heaven. One wise physician observed, I've watched a lot of people die, but I've never heard a person say on their deathbed, I wish I had spent more time at my job. You may be thinking, I don't live for money or pleasure. For me, to live is my family. That sounds noble. That's a wonderful pursuit on this earth. But if you make that your top priority and you neglect your relationship with Christ, then you have to say it to die is lost because even in heaven we won't have the same kind of families we know now. According to the Bible, if you want to gain more at the time of your death, the only person you can fill that blank with is Jesus Christ. When you say, for me to live is Christ, then you can say, and to die is gain. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Jesus is risen, risen from the grave, and He is here. He walks with me. He talks with me along life's narrow ways. He lives. He lives salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives, I know He lives within my heart. We live in a changing world, but the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. Years ago, a sailing vessel, the captain instructed a young helmsman to steer by the stars while he went down and took a nap below. That evening, there was an amazing meteor shower. The young helmsman was alarmed and rushed down below to wake the captain and says, The stars are falling from the sky. How do I guide the ship? The patient captain went back up on deck and showed the helmsman the North Star. And he said, What's that star? If it falls, then you come get me. Otherwise, watch it and keep on sailing. Friend, Jesus is that bright and morning star. He will never fall, nor will he ever fail. Long after the planets and the stars have all burned out, have all been plucked from the sky, He will still shine on. Don't look for life among the dead. Look for life in Jesus Christ. Are you here this morning? We're not going to tarry long, anything else, but do you know Jesus Christ? This is Easter Sunday. What a great weekend to come to know Jesus in a personal way.
in just a moment, we're going to come and sing a song. We're not, we're not going to come sing a song. Somebody's going to come sing a song and play. This will be our invitation. But answer that question. For me to live is greed, education, money, whatever you want to put there. But if it's anything besides Jesus Christ, you'd have to follow it with, and to die is loss. There's nothing else. Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. And, Lord, as we come to close this service, we just ask that you'd open our hearts and minds. Lord, I don't know everyone that's here this morning. But, Lord, I know this. You've put upon our hearts that we need to have a verse of invitation and to offer salvation to anyone that needs it. And, Lord, our deacons will be here at the side of the building and just to, to talk with anybody or to help in any way. Or we've got other people be glad to help them in any way they need. But just, Lord, just maybe they just need to bow these steps and pray and say, I need to get back close like I used to be at one time in my life. My family needs to turn the corner. Or whatever it may be, Lord, just take our eyes off money and material things and let us see what's really important in this life, a life-sustaining victory we can have. Thank you, Lord, for this Easter Sunday, what it means to us as Jesus overcame the grave. But now, Lord, it's our choice. Do we accept him or reject him? This is your invitation, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.